As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always for Bruce Feldman to talk a little college football Bruce, I don't think our podcast is going to be the one rising to the top of the charts this week since neither of us had a uh, the world's biggest pop star show up at a football game we were playing in. Uh, so I don't think we're going to get that same Taylor Swift pop. But maybe we can get the Ryan Day-Lou Holtz drama pop since it continues to be in the news. Yeah, Lou Holtz doubled down on it, right? Um, I think you and I were pretty clear on how we felt about it the other day. I will ask you this, and our friend and friend of the pod, Ralph Russo, he tweeted something the other day that caught my eye, and it was this. I'm begging Jets beat writers, at least one of whom is a dear friend, please stop asking Joe Namath about the team. Now, that That is in reference to Joe Namath you know, broadsiding Zach Wilson. Um, and I think the question is sometimes, and look, Joe Namath is a Jets legend and a football legend, but I think the question sometimes is when you have somebody who's in their 80s, um, you know, is it fair game for them to to be in the middle of a of a media controversy with some of this? Well, you're a huge Pat McAfee fan. It was on the Pat McAfee. It wasn't, that's what I keep getting back to. It wasn't like uh, some tweet or some obscure... I mean, he went, that's a very high profile show, a very, you know, big, valuable piece of real estate on ESPN the day before the game. And okay, they're interviewing because he's a Notre Dame guy and he's going to rah rah Notre Dame. But he did call out uh, Ryan Day. Now, I have seen it. People suggest that uh, this was that Lou Holtz just became because he can't really um, come out and say anything specific to Michigan, right? He can't come out and say, I've heard everything you guys have said about how we're not tough enough to beat Michigan. And that's BS. And we showed it today against Notre Dame. He's, so Holtz became like a proxy for it. He just kind of got caught in the line of fire and that's possible. Um, but yeah, Lou Holtz. <laughs> and and I, <laughs> this kind of, I, I hate when people do this, like fans of the team, like we lost, but you know, he basically said like, well, I was right. Ohio state was, or Notre Dame was the more physical team in that game. Um, regardless of the outcome, you know, a lot of people focused on it is true that there were some short yardage situations in that game 
where Ohio State either didn't get it or in one case called a really bizarre play for a fourth and short situation. And so if somebody wants to hold that up as C, they still can't, when they need a yard to gain, they still can't get it. But they won the football game. They did what they needed to do. They won the game. I know. I mean, it's it's crazy. Um, by the way, Ryan Day's, you know, as far as I know, his pro, you know, his program doesn't end up on probation. Um, you know, like some of these other people who are critical of them is like, you know, they're in the glass house. They didn't uh I don't know. I, I so you're referring to the fact that Lou Holtz's program's got on probation. Pretty much everywhere he coached had that. It doesn't really get brought up much, does it? No, I mean, look, again, this is talking about somebody in their 80s, but it's like all of a sudden it's in the middle of things. And again, look, you and I were pretty clear on what we th- what we think of the job Ryan Day's done there. Is he is he Nick Saban right now? No, I mean, he's never won a national title. That's the case for almost all the coaches in college football, including, you know, some of the ones who have won it. I think you and I are both clear we would take Ryan Day as the head coach over right now, Mac Brown or certainly Jimbo Fisher. Um you know, I mean, they came within a field goal last year, probably winning the national title. So, like, uh, I get it. He it, needs it, he uh, needs to beat Michigan. If he beats Michigan this year, all that stuff's going to go away. It really is. You know, you it, you can't lose to you know, especially given how many years in a row they had beaten Michigan. If you lose to them twice in a row, when most people believe you were the more talented team and look what CJ Stroud's doing with the Texans so far. Like he was the quarterback in both of these games. Um, you're going to hear it if you're the coach of Ohio state. So if you beat Michigan, but you lose to Penn state this year and you go 11 and one, you might even win the big, big 10, you know, who knows, but you go 11 and one. And then all of a sudden, you know, like you're just not the man to coach the program. Well, think about, you know, urban Meyer had some pretty, inexcusable losses there uh right he and they got uh, they got blown out of the building at iowa purdue yeah Again, and those are games and those are games that both years those losses um kept them out of the playoff but urban meyer was still revered there up until the end because he kept beating michigan that's you know it wasn't that he kept winning national championships he won one early on and then he didn't win another one after that but he kept beating michigan and to me that's Ryan Day's, you know, popularity rating, you know, in uh, Columbus is going to have um, is going to be because of that. By the way, um, just to give some people some context, since you threw it out there, uh, quick Wikipedia refresher here: Minnesota, Holtz was at Minnesota, and just prior to the Orange Bowl, uh, NCA implicated the Golden Gophers for recruiting violations. And sanctions were handed down shortly after he left Notre Dame. You may remember the. Remember the name Kim Dun Kim Dunbar? Do yeah, yes. one point four million embezzlement scheme at her employer, and she was funneling money to the football players. And then South Carolina got placed on three years probation, reductions, and scholarships for ten admitted violations under Holtz. I wouldn't necessarily say that makes him qualified or unqualified to analyze Ohio State's football team, but yeah, it's you know interesting that that doesn't really get brought up much when people talk about legendary coach Lou Holtz. Yeah. Look, I mean, again, it's, it's, I don't know. It's kind of nutty that this thing is, has drifted on. We brought it up, but it was like, it came back up. That was the, you know, the kind of thing. And look, I think this is the, this is the news cycle of this. Um, as you said, and I think this is, 
you know, if Ryan Day beats beats Michigan, I think some of this dies down. I don't think it, you know, the standard is the standard. It's crazy high. And I don't think he shies away from it. I just think it's the way that this is this is kind of drifted in a way that's that's interesting. It's like you win and at a tough place to play against a really good team. And then I don't know, you know, we'll see. Was that for his team or was that for himself that that emotion came out the way it did? I'm guessing he really would like to move on from that. By the way, it occurs to me that you talk about a news cycle. Media has obviously changed quite a bit. The Lou Holtz comments did not come in some traditional media form. They were on the Pat McAfee show. And then the one after the game was on OutKick. And then Ryan Day, of course, was just in a post-game interview, which nine times out of 10, those post-game interviews are pretty non-controversial. So conferences, it wasn't like general availability. It was, this is the new landscape. Lou Holtz went on two shows that, frankly, I would not expect an 86-year-old to go on, but he did, and it became a news cycle. Um, As we look forward to this week's games, you know, uh, USC, USC, again, USC, Colorado, biggest game of the year, according to the network that's showing it. And I am very interested in, frankly, how USC's defense is going to do. I don't think I have much uh, question about how their offense is going to do. But I also feel like those are two programs we've talked about ad nauseum on here. Here's one that kind of flies under the radar. Ole Miss loses to Alabama, and this week they got to turn around and play at LSU. By the way, just to clarify something from Sunday's show, we were both at the time in real time like, hey, why is he saying he's going to miss playing Alabama? Well, I forgot, no divisions next year, and Alabama is not on their schedule, thanks to the people on Twitter. So does that mean that Nick Saban's retiring in, or one of these guys is leaving in – at 2024 or 2025 i'm gonna give it this i'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt the simplest explanation he said i'm gonna miss playing you guys because they're not they might not even be playing them for the next two years i haven't seen the schedule i know they, they announced them for the first two years that OU and texas are in the conference but i thought that was a disappointing showing from Ole miss uh i know they were an underdog but this was a vulnerable alabama team this was their chance to beat them. They still haven't beaten them under Lane Kiffin. And frankly, that performance was a dud. And then kind of some under the radar weird news. So I happened to, I was at Ole Miss in the spring of last year. And the story I did was about, you know, he was the portal king at that point. And one of the big transfers he brought in was Michael Trigg, tight end at USC. He'd only played one year at USC, he followed Jackson Dart. And he was the talk of that camp that spring really big uh, tight end who can catch and run. And just based on what you were seeing at practice and what they were saying, you thought he's going to be a big part of the offense. It never quite panned out that way, but in the Tulane game in week two, where Tulane was ranked, it was you know a pretty big game at the time. He did catch a 21 yard touchdown. That turned out to be the last touchdown, last catch he would have at Ole Miss. And, he just kind of disappeared from the team and, and the school confirmed on Tuesday that he's no longer part of the team. Also a linebacker um, just kind of decided to be done with it. Um, it is notable, you know, it is, we have hit the four game mark where if kids want to protect their red shirt, then they might want to shut it down. But this happened in a kind of bizarre way. Now they got to turn around and play LSU and there's some stats out there about, Kiffin's record against top 10 teams and top 25 teams as a head coach um, that aren't particularly flattering. 
So all of all of which is a way to say if they get their bus kicked by LSU this week, it it's you know, now it's like kind of assured to be a disappointing season for Ole Miss five weeks into the year. Yeah, I think this, you know, the juxtaposition of this game, you know, they're three and one, which obviously isn't a, you know, a terrible record at this point. But I think if you look at where they were about a year ago at this time, you know, their schedule was backloaded. They, I don't, I want to say they might have peaked into the top 10 even last uh, they year. They got to like seven and oh, but everybody knew that it was a very back. It's the opposite this year. You know, you get Alabama and LSU early. Yeah, it's it's interesting though. I mean, the the number that like one of the coaches I know had pointed out to me was like, if you look at Lane's record, and you know, we talked about this some, I think, in our top twenty five coaching rankings, like in the winter, three win. He's you know he's been a head coach for eleven years in his twelfth season. He's only had three wins over teams that finished in the top twenty five, and considering that most of his time has been at power five jobs, you know, first at us at Tennessee, then at, then at USC, then obviously it was at FAU. And now he's been at Ole Miss for, for a little while. Um, you know, look, I think he's Lane Kiffin's really good for the business of the sec. And he's great for Paul Feinbaum, even though it sounds like they have a love hate relationship. And I think he's really, he's engaging on Twitter in a lot of ways. I mean, we talked about last week, how he was zinging his old boss and, and, seem to take delight because it's just weird to see head football coaches in college retweet stuff like in that regard. Um, you know, even this week I saw that he had talked about Harold Perkins and LSU and how Brian Kelly was using him in the first, you know, I think he jumped on a, a storyline that a lot of other people were into and it was like, yeah, they were using him as a regular linebacker in the beginning of the year. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, the district, the, you know, disruptive force he was last year. Right? And then they switched him back, you know, in the last couple of games. And he's like, I hope they move him back to the regular linebacker mode. You know, you just don't usually see coaches kind of picking at their opposition and, and their, their peers in that regard. But yeah, especially where, you know, with the, you know, a little of the trig drama inside the old Miss program and, and, this this time you're curious as to how is this team going to come out right now you know like what i don't want to say this is like a pivot point for them because obviously um you know it's it's one game but as you said last week was just kind of a dud performance by them and it's not like you know if i said where did you have them preseason you had them in the top 20 right yeah um you know, it's like defensively, they've been pretty shaky to say the least. So after this, though, the schedule, you know, they do have Georgia later in the year. But I think after this game, Georgia's the only ranked team they have left. You know, it's obviously it's a great one and it's one in Athens. But even if they lose this game, you know, they're three and two. And then you got, I don't want to say the dregs, but you have, Arkansas, who's a 500 team, Auburn, who's, who's, you know, didn't look very good last week. Bandy, who's bad. You have A&M, you know, we'll touch on that for a second here is like A&M now has, it's going to be Max Johnson the rest of the way. Cause Connor Wegman is expected to be out for the season. You know, I, Max Johnson actually looked really good last week and he's obviously played a ton from his time at LSU. Um, and then after Georgia, it's Louisiana Monroe and at Mississippi State, their arch rival, who's right now is 0 2. 
you know, they could lose this game. I think they'll probably lose this game to LSU. And they still have a chance to probably only go nine and three um, or at least eight and four. And I think you look at that and go, that's not a dreadful season. But at that at that point, I don't know what you take from it. You know what I mean? I, you know, I, I you've always gotten on me for being higher on Lane Kiffin than you are. I do think over the years he's shown to be a great offensive coach. And he did come in and, and have pretty instant success there. But last year was a dud. Um, this year, I think, I do think this week's game is a kind of a, a, it's important, right? Cause it's, it's at home. I don't think they're even that big an underdog. LSU went to the wire against Arkansas last week. There aren't going to be a lot of other chances for signature wins, uh, in that schedule this year. Um, the thing is they are a two and a half point underdog right now. Yeah. What kind of changed the conversation around him was that after, you know, Auburn went after him last year, he got a big, big new contract at Ole Miss. And which is not surprising in the SEC, obviously, but they aren't, they to this point have not cracked through and been an upper tier SEC team. And in fact, I believe I saw that the last time, so they beat Indiana in the bowl game in 2020. And I think Indiana was ranked 10th. But you know, in kind of a, I would say normal season or the only time he's ever beaten the top 10 team was uh, against Oregon way back in 2011 at USC. I actually remember that game pretty well. Um, you know, at some point there's, we, we don't expect Ole Miss to become Alabama. They've never really been that kind of program, but look, Hugh Freeze beat top 10 teams. Hugh Freeze took them to he beat Alabama New twice. Year. Yeah, he took them to New Year's Six Bowls back-to-back. So I don't think you need to say, like, well, we're only Ole Miss, right? Like, eight and four is the best we can do here. No, there's pretty recent evidence that even though they, they've actually never been to the SEC title game, but they've been to New Year's Six Bowls. He took them to a New Year's Six Bowl the second year, and I think that people thought that would be um, uh, a launching-off point. And right now it's looking shaky. Yeah, by the way, um, I believe, you know, we talked about this a few minutes ago. So Ole Miss is expected expected to go to Tuscaloosa in 2025. So it's one year that they're so it's not. it's one year. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, let's hit on some quick breaking news here. You know, we know that, you know, Michigan State uh, sent Mel Tucker notice that they were going to terminate him. They officially terminated him uh, on Wednesday. And the significance of that is that the players now have a 30-day w- window to enter the transfer portal, which is kind of unusual given we're in the middle of the season and the transfer portal is technically not open right now. But yeah, that's the rule. If there's a coaching change, um, there's a 30-day window when anybody can become a transfer. Michigan State is already pretty bad. What happens if they suddenly have a big roster exodus? That would be fascinating to see who you could take or basically in October and the idea that some players would jump right in to situation. Now, look, 
you know, if we're talking about like a third down pass rusher, somebody like that, I mean, you know, by the same token, people are always looking for depth and whether it's a receiver or an edge rusher, like who can jump in and contribute right away. I'm sure there's plenty of schools that would be open to hear it. I just think, you know, if you're Michigan State, especially after like the way the Washington game played out, I mean, they were down 35 to nothing at half. It's a home game. I think in a lot of ways, I feel like this is an even more, you know, dire situation than what Northwestern is dealing with, you know, because Northwestern has been really bad except for one year for, you know, much of, you know, much of the last four, four or five years, Michigan state isn't too far removed from winning 11 games. And I don't know if they look at it and go, okay, well, we can, you know, we can still be a, still could have been a bowl team and that kind of thing. And now, you know, I'd be interested to see how the, you know, what kind of poaching there go there is going on, um, you know, with the portal potentially opening, you know, it's I, just... I'm a little puzzled about the mechanics of this. So let's say a Michigan state kid enters the portal tomorrow. It's not like he can then go suit up for another team in the middle of the season. He would have to be enrolled at the new school. You, know, you can't, at this point, it's too late to transfer for the semesters are what they are. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. quarter, quarter system. So. so are you basically getting a head start on the, like, to me, it doesn't seem like it would make a difference whether you enter now versus November. When may the, as well wait to see. Yeah, honestly, you may as well wait to see who the next coach is going to be. I mean, if you chose Michigan State, obviously you chose it for, for Mel Tucker in large part. But also it's like, I think you're going to want to wait to see how the coaching search plays out. You know, unless, you know, unless you're a senior and I don't know what you, you know, how you would frame that. Well, interesting timing that this came out right before their fifth game. Um, as I, Like I said, in fact, I'm surprised we haven't seen more news this week of guys shutting it down for the season that has happened in the past. If you're a Michigan State player who thinks you're, who either enters the portal or thinks you're about to enter the portal, this would be the week to do it, to shut it down uh, so you can preserve your retro year. Yeah, right. Um, so you want to get to the mailbag? I do. Let's get to the mailbag. The mailbag is brought to you by Graduate Hotels, your game day go-to. Great locations at college towns all over the country. Great bars. Great place to be if you're going to your college town for homecoming, for a big game, for graduation, and for all the reasons people go to college campuses. Um, and Bruce, I know you're a huge fan of Graduate Hotels. I am. You know, we stayed at a, we stayed at several of them last year as part of the big noon crew. And it's just a very charming, unique, you know, all the other hotels seem to seem to be just so unmemorable. Um, even the, even, uh, you know, the ones that we typically stay in, the graduate hotel has its own unique charm and highly recommend the experience. Yeah. They've got everything for college football weekend. You, you can, you know, there's going to be live music, pre-game refreshments, next morning helpers if you had a big night, lamps shaped like school mascots, rooftop bars. And this is the most important part. The hotel is usually walking distance to the stadium. So plan your football weekend now and get 20% off your stay plus $50 for food and drinks with the promo code GRADFB. That's G-R-A-D-F-B if you book now at graduatehotels.com. Again, use code GRADFB, G-R-A-D, FB book now at graduatehotels.com. 
All right, Stu, let me start off. Um, this is a question I think you will sink your teeth into. It's from Vinny in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Hey, by the way, I, you know who's from Fond du Lac? You're not mm, give me a hint. He's on the freaks list, and he's a Big Ten running back. Oh, well, tell us. Okay, Braylon Allen. Oh, okay. Yeah, makes sense. I figured it was a Badger. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay. Thank you, Vinny. Here we go. Uh, Clemson versus Florida State was billed as the battle of the transfer portal. One team who used it heavily versus a program that refused to use it. However, did Clemson really lose because of, of their lack of portilling? Their defense shut down an elite offense and the Tigers moved the ball fairly well. They should have won the game. It seems to me that horrible execution in critical spots is their weakness, not talent. What do you say, Stu? Well, I don't think you can say the game itself was won or lost because of whether somebody went in the portal or not. Obviously, a big portal guy, Keon Coleman, caught the game-winning touchdown, but that was one play. To me, it's more about how we got to the point where Florida State beat Clemson for the first time in seven years because there used to be a pretty big gap there, right? If you go back even, let's say, 2020, when Clemson went to the playoff for the sixth year in a row um, and had – Trevor Lawrence and ETN and just, you know, it was the end of, we didn't know at the time, but the end of this kind of dynastic run, Florida State was three and six. So to get from that to a point where Florida State, in my mind, has kind of surpassed Clemson now, um, even though, or, or, you know, a close game, maybe there's not a huge gap yet, but they have surpassed, they did beat them on the road. Uh, Norvell built the roster up to, that level primarily with the portal. We've talked about it many times. He's probably done the best job with the portal of any coach in the country. So they had to rise up over the period of a few years. And Clemson has obviously taken a step back. And I think I said a million times, a big reason is that Dabo has not embraced the portal and is just relying a hundred percent on his ability to hit on every recruit, basically recruit well, evaluate well, develop well, and whatever holes you have on your roster, just, you know, they remain holes on the roster. So it's not the result of the game was because of it. It's the just the general trend that's taken place over the three years where one program went from probably the worst it's been in, in a long, long time, in decades, to national championship contender, at least playoff contender. And the other one is 0-2 in the ACC. Yeah, to underscore that point, Stu. Um, so Jordan Travis obviously started off his career at Louisville. He's a transfer. And then you look at the four top receivers in that game for Florida State. Johnny Wilson came from the Pac-12. Keon Coleman, as you said, Michigan State. Trey Benson also came from the Pac-12. Jaheim Bell came from South Carolina. All four of those guys came through the portal. Um, one of the one of the best defensive players that FSU got, has now on this team, Braden Fisk came from the Mac, yeah, you know, is a disruptive defensive lineman who's giving people fits. Obviously, we know about Jared Verse. There's a bunch of other guys. This is a dramatically different team because there are so many portal guys. And it's not just portal guys who like Fisk and Coleman who just got there. There's these other guys who have, you know, now been entrenched at Florida State and helped Mike, Mike Norvell get it, you know, turn it from being a, you know, extremely mediocre program to a legit playoff contender. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it actually kind of distinctive is that in a lot of cases, 
we think of the portal, it's like a lot of one and done guys, right? It's a lot of rental players, but Norvell actually built a roster, not unlike you do with high school players, guys that came in early in their careers and developed under those coaches. So uh, Clemson doesn't need to do that. They have a lot of talent. They don't need to, you know, pull a D on. They don't need to throw out the whole roster and bring in a new one. But imagine the potential. It's not like that, you know, as you saw, right? That team is not that far off. Any Uh, one of those three receivers, Johnny Wilson, Bell, or Keon Coleman, makes Clemson better. There's no way you could tell me. Yeah, Yeah, they've had a freshman receiver come on lately after the Duke game, but that's one guy. Florida State's got a bunch of guys. So that to me is is what we mean when we talk about the contrast between those two teams. Clinton Eubanks, Gets in two questions. I give him two questions because they're both concise. First of all, I dare you all to name the second best team in the Big 12. Is it possible, Bruce, the second best team is playing the, the best team this weekend when Kansas comes to Austin? It might be. I mean, I think this is a sneaky great game this weekend. Um, you know, we, we've both been effusive in what we think the, the job Lance Leipold has done there. Um you know, you look at at them now. Look, this is a, still a okay. You know, what do we have from this this team? You know, kind of feel with Kansas, right? Last year they were a top twenty five team at one point, and then I don't want to say they came back to reality, but they they started to you know started to sputter. You know, Daniels got hurt, um, and they weren't quite the same thing. I think Jalen Daniels is such a good quarterback. He's a great decision maker. He fits the offense. Um, he gives them a lot of like, I don't know. I just think he's one of the smartest quarterbacks in college football right now. And you look at how he operates that they have a good run game. I mean, they average almost six yards of carry as a team. This is a good test for Texas. I mean, I think Texas should win. But as we're saying this right now, I, you know, we talked about this the other on, on Sunday in the episode. Like, I don't think Oklahoma's an elite team, I think Kansas might be better than them. I really do. You think Kansas might be better than Texas? No, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. I'm saying so the question is, who do you think is the second best team? Yeah, yeah. I, I like right now. I feel like Texas probably is the best team in the big in the Big Twelve from what we've seen. But then for the next spot, you know, seeing TCU is not not very impressed by them. Like West Virginia is off to a nice start. Good for Neil Brown because he's on the hot seat. Um, you know, Kansas did beat BYU, but after that, I mean, to me, right now, your your next two candidates, if you're going to say Texas is the best team, would be Kansas and Oklahoma. Um, I have a little more confidence in Kansas than I do in Oklahoma after what I saw the other day. I think the three candidates for second best team, if we're assuming Texas is the best team are Oklahoma, Kansas State, I'm not ruling out Kansas State, and Kansas. Which, by the way, let's take a second to appreciate that that's even a possibility, given where Kansas was for about 10, 12 years. Um, I I wish this game was in Lawrence. I think it would be more, there would be more upset talk if the game were in Lawrence. People are going to, I'm skeptical. I'm as big a Jalen Daniels fan as there is. I'm skeptical they will go into Texas and win. Um, But it should be a good game. If they do win, I mean, Lance Leipold can pick his spot next year. Uh, He's going to be sought after by every team in America. 
for having week. done this this re, you know this this miraculous turnaround that he has. Yeah. Oh, so second question: How good is Maryland? Fourth best team in the Big Ten? Maybe so. You know, like I think there's a drop off between the Big Three in that division and the next best team, but they've been good on offense and. They have a really good Roman Henby's really underrated running back. He had a terrific debut season last year. Um, you know, I think they're, I think they're a, the, the issue with them to me, and I've, I had them against Ohio state a couple times as a sideline reporter in recent years was when they, when they had stepped up in class a couple years ago, they were really banged up. And I feel like there's a big drop off at Maryland between their starters and what they have after them. Like, I feel like if they're healthy and those guys are rolling, because we saw that in the secondary, you know, it wasn't quite to Illinois' level last year, but it was, you know, like it was pretty similar in terms of like a couple of elite players um, on the back end of those, those corners are now in the NFL. But I think Loxley has really upgraded the roster there. You know, he did some shakeup on the coaching staff. And, you know, we're going to find out, I think, you know, we have them next week in Columbus. You know, I'm not going to say they're going to pull up an upset, but, you know, they need to, you know, I think they're a team that's good enough to beat the mid-level teams in the Big Ten. The question is, can they take somebody down? You know, yeah. I don't feel that yet. I think the it's a little early to say the competition hasn't been great. Obviously, they went and clobbered Michigan hasn't been State. Good, Stu. It's not that it hasn't been great. I mean, they were trailing Charlotte at halftime. Then they played Virginia. Virginia is really, really struggling. And they played Michigan State, and Michigan State's really struggling. Now they're going to have Indiana. I you mean, know what's they, interesting they, is they fell behind 14 nothing in each of their first three games and then ended up winning them all decisively. They went to Michigan State and beat them 31-9. I think what I'm interested to see as the competition gets tougher is we know about the off is the defense better, right? They haven't really been that um, they haven't had that caliber of athlete. You mentioned the, the corners, but like up front, they haven't been, they a have had great, it. They have had, had it, but chop Robinson left to go to Penn state. Oh yes. Right. So um, I don't see them winning in Columbus, but they get both Michigan and Penn state in college park. Uh not out of the realm of possibility they beat one of them. That's been the thing so far. Like the program's gotten better every year, but they haven't pulled one of those off against, you know, uh, one of those the teams. They have, I think, the better chance to win to me of those two. And it's crazy because I'm picking this team as the national title team. They're in an ideal position to knock off Michigan if possible, because that the way that game sits, Michigan has to go to Penn State the week before and they play Mich- they play Ohio State the week after. You can't ask for a better yeah. dynamic than that. Yeah, as, as soft as Michigan's schedule is for the first like nine games, um, they are eight games. They you're right. Back to back road trips to, to to Penn State and then to Maryland. So if Maryland, like, let's say goes nine and three, but wins a game like that, it's going to be a, a very considered a very successful season for the Terps. All right. I'm giving you this one. It's a tough one from our friend Jason Garluski in Columbia, South Carolina. I've heard that ADs always have a list of five names of coaches they want for their program in case of an emergency, like a scandal or an unexpected health issue retirement. 
who would Alabama's AD have on his list right now? Who in the industry would have the fortitude to follow Nick Saban at Alabama? I know one guy who would, and that's Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders, I have no doubt, would have no qualms of being like the guy to replace John Wooden or the guy to replace Nick Saban. Would Greg Byrne hire him? I think he might. Because you have to. If you hire Deion, you have to, everything that comes with it. You can't be like, okay, you're hiring I don't you. think you have to do that to be Nick Saban's, to work with Nick Saban. You're not Nick Saban's. No, person. I'm saying if you hire Dion, you have to be comfortable with the rap stars on the sideline and the video cameras everywhere. And I don't know that that's going to go over everywhere. But I also think that if, if he's, you know, if turns out to be as good a coach as we think as he's showing to be so far, you know, you might be, you'd be crazy not to hire him. I think the tricky thing, if you're if you're in the position of Greg Byrne on that, is the kind of guys you would be looking at are guys who, you know, are the top whatever five or six coaches. I'm not sure why they would leave their situation to go replace Nick Saban, right? Now we've talked about this a long time ago. Dabo Sweeney's an Alabama grad. I just don't know why he would leave Clemson to go back to Tuscaloosa, you know, from some of these other guys. In situations, it's like, okay, who's going to look at this? You know, there's, I don't know, you know, I know that there would be people attracted to the job, but at the end of the day, you're replacing Nick Saban at Alabama. Those are huge shoes to fill. I think that will give a lot of people pause. I'm not saying nobody would jump into it, but I just think the guys who would jump into it are not the Ryan Days or Lincoln Riley's. I don't know if like why you're if you're Brian Kelly, you leave LSU if you're doing well to go make that move, right? You know, if you're Dan Lanning, I don't know. You know, like that might be Dan Lanning obviously worked there. I don't know. I mean, Dan Lanning's done a really good job. I just don't know if he would say, you know, do I leave the Big Ten as an Oregon school? To go there. That was the one name other than Dion. It's interesting because obviously both, you know, there's a you know, both were in the news t- tied together last week because that game. But that was the one name that I thought of is like, okay, if not Dion, I don't know how five guys that I would say, oh yeah, I could see them jumping into that big of a job. But that's the other one. I Dan Lanning to me, that would seem like a no-brainer move on his part, but we don't know when this is happening, if it is happening. The question was basically it, would Dan Lanning be one of the five guys on the on the notebook in Greg Burns' desk? I don't know that he would be yet, but he could be if this yeah, season. I mean, Kalen DeBoer, maybe. I feel like all of those guys, it kind of depends on how this season plays out. They're, they just got to their schools last year. As always, you can send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Looking forward to another great weekend of games. We'll come back to you on Sunday. <laughs>